Hello there, this is Alex and I am glad to welcome you to another episode. Last time we spoke about the ego, we introduced the ego as well as the ego mechanisms. We said that you in your essence are formless consciousness, we can say, and that ego is the false self that obscures the formless consciousness that you are. It's like the sun and the clouds. Imagine there's a remote island on the planet where it is always cloudy and the sun is never visible. And over time, what happens in this fictitious island is that people start forgetting that there is a sun that's behind the clouds. And somehow, following the metaphor, you are the sun. It's the essence of who you are. But the problem is that this sun, this essence of who you are is constantly being obscured by the ego. In order to look at the sun, what you need to do is recollect your attention and pay attention. Pay attention to the present moment and be still. And the more you're still, the more you're grounded in the present moment, the more you're going to start seeing through those small gaps in the clouds and start recognizing the rays of light until finally you're going to be able to just observe directly at the sun. Now, in this metaphor, you cannot talk about the sun because we said your essence is formless. We cannot talk about the formless. How can we use forms, which are words, to describe that which has no content, right? How can we use tools, physical tools, to grasp the space in the room, right? It's not possible. So the only way of grasping, of understanding this essence that we're talking about is by being it. You cannot understand it through thinking about it. What you need to do is be it. And it starts with grounding yourself. So before we continue, let's just make sure that you are here. Wherever you are, make sure to be there. Don't allow your mind to keep doing its thing of distracting your attention. And when that happens, you're thinking about the future, about what you need to do, about how you need to solve this problem at work, or about how you need to solve this problem with your partner. Or you think about something that happened in the past and how you resent it. And you think how life would be so different only if my husband wouldn't have left me then I would be happy now, but since my husband left, I can't be happy and I resent him for that and I hate him. 
So make sure to be here. Make sure to reconnect with your body. That's a, an important place to start. Because presence, the state of presence is when, when you are connected, when you're grounded and connected to the formless aspect of yourself, we can say. It's an alert state where your attention is recollective and fully available to you. It's not being scattered by your mind and your worries and your what-ifs and making scenarios in your head of what if this happens, how ruined am I going to be if this happens. That's how it is when your mind is scattered. But how does it look like when your mind is recollected? When your mind is recollected, you can feel your body. That's one thing. You can feel your feet making contact with the ground. You can feel your legs making contact with the chair if you're sitting or if you're driving your car or whatever. You can feel your hands. You can feel your arms and your chest and your stomach. And you'll see, the more you do this, the more you realize, when I feel my body, when I am in connection with my body, I am not thinking. Or if a thought comes, it's very short-lived. Its lifespan is very short when I am there. When I am absent, thoughts have an almost infinite time span. And they keep transforming themselves into other thoughts. And it's like a continuous stream of thought. That's how most people live like. That's the unconscious state, we've said. Unconsciousness means not being there. It's an automatic state. Your mind just thinks and thinks and thinks. And you're never even there to recognize that your mind is always thinking. So, let's make sure that you're here. Feel your body from within, so to speak. Use your body as an anchor. Allow it to ground yourself. Be curious about any sensations that you can recognize. Air brushing against your face or this, the warmth of the sun against your skin or contact your feet, your legs, your back. Choose whatever you can feel and focus on that. Good. That's what presence is when you're not thinking. And what's the opposite? When you're thinking, that's where you are strengthening this thought-based sense of self, which we've called the ego. And we've said the ego, it's an entity that gets created based on how you perceive other people perceive you and based on the things that happened in your past. 
we spoke about egoic mechanisms last time. We introduced uh, basic egoic mechanisms. And these are ways in which your ego operates. And why we did this is because it is very important to familiarize yourself with how the ego works because the more you're familiar with it the better you stand a chance of observing it. When you don't observe it, it's automatic. When you don't observe it, it's like being in autopilot. When the owner of the house is not there, all sorts of creatures inhabit the house. But when the owner returns, things start uh, getting back in order. And the same applies on an internal level. Learn to observe your ego as it operates. Recognition of the ego in yourself is the only thing that you can do as such to dissolve the ego. It's because the recognition itself is the transcendence of the ego. Because by recognizing the ego, you activate a deeper dimension of yourself. By recognizing the ego, you allow yourself the possibility of becoming aware of the space in which the ego operates. And that's the formless consciousness that you are in essence. Internal space we can say, the dimension of spaciousness. That's how Eckhart Tolle calls it. There's a dimension of space in you as there is a dimension of form. The space allows the form to be there. The form cannot explain the space. The form cannot grasp the space. But you can be aware of the space in a different way. What we're saying in different words is you cannot understand the space dimension in yourself by thinking about it. It's not something that you're going to say at some point, oh yes, now I understand it. It's this and this and this and this. No, that's just thought. Understanding it is being it, feeling it. And being it means observing. When you are the witness to whatever's happening inside of you and you detach yourself and allow it to be as it is, it can be a thought, it can be an emotion, but when you allow it to be there and you relax into this witnessing state, that's how you activate it. That's how you are the space, right? It's difficult to talk about it, of course, because it's like using words to describe that which is unnameable, (laughs) undescribable. But we have to make an attempt. So don't hold on to the words so strongly. Try to hold on to the experience of presence. It's like Ram Das says, everything changes once we identify with being the witness to the story instead of the actor in it. And he says, 
Learn to watch your drama unfold, while at the same time knowing you are more than your drama. And the drama here is the thoughts, the ego, the emotions. Now, I have a text that I want to share with you. I've selected a few verses of a text that um, I think is very insightful when it comes to understanding egoic patterns, but more than that, how to handle with them, right? Because I think last session was very insightful in explaining the egoic patterns, introducing them, and I'm sure we're going to have some more of that today. But I think what I want to focus on this time is how to handle with them, how, how to deal with them. And uh, the text I have, it's a scripture, actually. It's a Buddhist scripture, and it's called The Way of the Bodhisattva. Now, a Bodhisattva is something like a technical term of Buddhism. But uh, put simply, a Bodhisattva is a person who is on the path towards awakening. So somehow this text called the way of the Bodhisattva, we can use different words to describe it and we can rename it to something like the way towards awakening or how to live an awakened life, basically, right? <laughs> In Buddhism, just so you know, there's this idea of the Buddha nature and it's that most essential part of yourself, part of everyone, basically everyone has a Buddha nature, it's just that most people don't know it. In most cases, the Buddha nature is completely obscured. So somehow, what Buddhists want to do, help you do, is to find it and to become a Buddha, right? That's what the word Buddha means. It means the awakened one. We need to be careful with religion and godlike figures because uh, there's a, a good line in the Tao Te Ching that I think explains the point. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Yes, it, it's here. It's chapter 3. It says, If you oversteam great men, people become powerless. Now, what does this mean? What does oversteaming great men mean? I think great men, examples of great human beings, are enlightened beings, you know, like Jesus or the Buddha or Lao Tzu or, um, I don't know, there's been plenty saints of all religions. And what the Tao Te Ching says is, don't oversteam them. What does oversteaming them mean? Oversteaming them means thinking that I could never be like them. And when I think 
yes, Jesus is a God figure. The Buddha is a God figure. Ananda Maima is a God figure. I could never be like them. Then you cut yourself from the possibility of actually finding your most profound qualities and awakening them. So somehow we don't want to fall into the trap. What we want to, the idea that we want to entertain is that we can actually be like them. That's what the way of the Bodhisattva means, basically. Or there's another book in Christianity, which it's quite similar. It's called The Imitation of the Christ. And it's a very similar thing, right? It says how to be like Christ. In other words, how to be awakened, how to be a true human being. That's what the books point to. So, coming back to the way of the Bodhisattva, let me just tell you uh, a bit more about the author because I found that quite amusing. So, as the story goes, once upon a time in ancient India, I think it was the 8th century or something like that, there lived a prince by the name of Shanti Deva. And this Shanti Deva, he was the eldest son of the king. And as the story goes, on the night before he was to be proclaimed king, his father had passed away and preparations were being made to proclaim him as the new king. So the day before that, his mother uh, gave him this ceremonial bath, which I think was a tradition at that time, uh, that on the night before a new king was proclaimed, uh, he had to receive this ceremonial bath. Only this time, the mom used boiling water. (laughs) Ouch! He cried out loud. Mother, what are you doing? To which mom replied, Son, the pain you are feeling from this boiling water is nothing compared to what you'll feel when you're a king. (laughs) And based on this, in the very early hours of the next day, Shantideva left the kingdom. (laughs) So he was never proclaimed king after all. What he did is he left the kingdom and soon after that he ended up at a university in a different city, which at that time was a great Buddhist university. And then he became a monk. But in being a monk he had a reputation as a very lazy and irritating one. His fellow monks would tease him saying that his three and only realizations were eating, sleeping and shitting, (laughs) since that was all he did. (laughs) So as the story goes, he was very resented and disliked by the fellow monks. So one day the monks decided to humiliate him in front of the elders. It turns out that there was this very prestigious talk 
um, which was usually only given by the highest, you know, the most realized of the masters. They would give these very prestigious talks in front of the elders every once in a while. So the fellow monks figured the plan so that Shanti Deva would end up giving the talk and thus humiliate himself in front of everyone. They thought that if this happened, he would be so embarrassed and disgraced that he would have no alternative other than to leave the monastery. So the day of the talk comes and Shantideva arrives and with no trouble at all he gets on top of the stage, looking very confident. At which stage he asks the audience whether they want to hear something very traditional or if they wish to hear something they never heard before. To which everyone replied saying that they would like to hear something they had never heard before. And so he starts delivering an incredible teaching and that is how the scripture is born. Which, as I told you, is called the way of the Bodhisattva. It turns out that Shanti Deva had written the whole text as an aid for his own personal use, like a reminder to be used by himself and no one else, similar to Marcus Aurelius' meditations, which I'm not sure if you know this, but he wrote them for his own use. It was only later after he died that someone found this text in his drawer or something and then said, wow, this is incredible. We should publish this. And thus another great scripture, in quotation marks, um, was born. But coming back to Shantideva, in one of the very first verses of the text, he says, I have no thought that this might be of benefit to others. I wrote it only to habituate my mind. Yet the text ends up becoming one of the most important scriptures in the Buddhist tradition. And so he himself, Shantideva, ends up becoming one of the most uh, recognized sages as well. So anyway, why don't we dive into the text? I've selected a few verses that I think are very insightful in the ego and the mechanisms and how to approach them. Now, the text uh, that I'm going to read to you, I'm going to read it part by part and we're going to try to interpret. It comes from chapter 5. And the title of the chapter is called um, Vigilant Introspection, which is a great title, I think. It's all about what we've been talking, awareness, vigilance, right? Vigilance is just another word for awareness, for self-observation, internal observation. So the text goes like this. When the urge arises in your mind to feelings of desire, 
or angry hate. Do not act. Be silent. Do not speak. And like a log of wood, be sure to stay. (laughs) And when your mind is wild or filled with mockery or filled with pride or haughty arrogance or when you would expose another's secret guilt to bring up all the sessions or to act deceitfully, or when you want to fish for praise or criticize and spoil another's name, or use harsh language, sparing for a fight, it is then that like a log you should remain. And when you yearn for wealth, attention, fame, a circle of retainers serving you, and when you look for honors, recognition, it is then that like a log you should remain. And when you're inclined to overlook another's need and want to get the best thing for yourself, and when you feel the urge to speak harshly of others, and when your mind is averse to the interests of others and seeks its own self-interest, or when it wishes to speak out of a desire for an audience. It is then that like a log you should remain. Impatience, indolence, faint-heartedness, and likewise arrogance and careless speech, attachment to your side, When these arise, it is then that like a log you should remain. (laughs) So, this is the very simple practice that we can call staying like a log. (laughs) In very simple words, he's saying, whenever you recognize egoic patterns in yourself, Do not act, be silent, do not speak, do not move, just observe them. And the egoic patterns that he describes are similar to the ones we described last time. He speaks of desires, he speaks of feelings of hate, he speaks of pride, arrogance and we said ego is a sense of self an entity that wants to be bigger always wants to be better than others through pride arrogance putting other people down like he says exposing another's secret guilt what about Gossiping. Gossiping is a very basic egoic pattern. What happens when you gossip about people that you know? When you gossip about someone, there's a power imbalance between you and them. And by talking negatively about them, you diminish their size, so to speak. And then in relation to that, 
you feed your own ego, then you feel bigger, you feel better. You feel that you know more than them. Or when you want to fish for praise, he says, fishing for praise, I want to be recognized. How many of us are like that? Why do you upload your photos to Instagram? Because you want to be seen. You want people to like your photos. And that gives you a heightened sense of self, an enlarged self-image. People talk a lot about their achievements. Or they also talk about the achievements of their children. You know, it's like my kids did this and my daughter did this and my son did this and it's like aggrandizing one's own image based on what my children did that's what he's saying when you want to fish for praise it is then that like a log you should remain Or when you criticize and spoil another's name, he says. Similar to gossiping, putting people down, criticizing people. We all do that. And we don't know how much that those actions are harming us. When we criticize someone, we not only harm them, we also harm ourselves. Because we strengthen this sense of self in ourselves, out of which all unhappiness comes from. Or use harsh language, sparing for a fight. Another of the basic egoic mechanisms is needing to defend yourself. The ego always wants to defend itself very aggressively. It's like I told you, someone shouts something at you and you shout back without even realizing that you have a choice not to do that. So how about next time someone shouts something at you, experiment with not saying anything, not defending yourself, and you will see how the ego shrinks in you. Eventually, After the discomfort passes, you will somehow tap into a greater sense of internal peace that comes when you allow the ego to be diminished. There's a book called A Course in Miracles and there's a line in there that goes as follows. Forget not when you feel the need arise to be defensive about anything, you have identified yourself with an illusion. So the illusion here is the ego, of course. The ego always needs to be defensive. The the ego always wants to prove a point, always wants to be seen. And in order to achieve this, the ego is constantly trying to defend itself always. But if we want to dissolve the ego and come closer to a dimension of ourselves that's 
deeper than the ego, we can experiment with the practice of remaining like a log next time that you feel the urge arise to defend yourself and to insult someone harsher than they insulted you. Like Eckhart Tolle says, a powerful spiritual practice is consciously to allow the diminishment of ego when it happens without attempting to restore it. For example, he goes on, when someone criticizes you, blames you or calls you names, instead of immediately retaliating or defending yourself, do nothing. Allow the self-image to remain diminished and become alert to what that feels like deep inside you. For a few seconds, it may feel uncomfortable, as if you had shrunk in size. Then you may sense an inner spaciousness that feels intensely alive. You haven't been diminished at all. In fact, you have expanded you may then come to an amazing realization. When you are seemingly diminished in some way and remain in absolute non-reaction, not just externally, but also internally, you realize that nothing real has been diminished. That through becoming less, in quotation marks, you become more. When you no longer defend or attempt to strengthen the form of yourself, you step out of identification with form, with mental self-image. Coming back to the way of the Bodhisattva. And when you yearn for wealth, attention, fame, a circle of retainers serving you, and when you look for honors, recognition. It is then that like a log you should remain. (laughs) Another egoic mechanism is, as I said, wanting to be seen, looking for wealth, attention, fame, people serving you, honors, recognition. This is just an aggrandizement that the ego looks for itself. The ego thinks that when I'm famous, I'm gonna be okay. That when I'm famous, I'm gonna be happy. The ego convinces you that when you are the spotlight of the attention, when you're recognized and honored, you're gonna be happy. But this is just an aggrandizement of the thought-based sense of self. Who you are in your depth doesn't need any kind of fame, wealth, recognition, honors in order to feel complete. It is only the ego that always needs to add something to itself to feel complete. So he's saying, whenever you feel the urge to want to add something to you, remain like a log. Don't act on it. Just observe it. When you're like a log, what he means is presence, alertness. 
And then he finishes, impatience, indolence, faint-heartedness, and likewise, arrogance and careless speech, attachment to your side. When these arise, it is then that like a log you should remain. So, this is the description of the ego. Whenever you find impatience in yourself, indolence, arrogance, careless speech, attachment to your view, attachment to your ideas, attachment to your side of the argument, wanting to be right and prove the others wrong. This is another way in which the ego aggrandizes itself. So he's saying, remain like a log. Observation, self-observation. Observe these patterns in yourself. That's the important task. Let's finish with something uh, beautiful on the ego, actually, that I read the other day. It's a poem by Tagore. And it goes like this. I came out alone on my way to my tryst. But who is this that follows me in the silent dark? I move aside to avoid his presence, but I escape him not. He makes the dust rise from the earth with his swagger. He adds his loud voice to every word that I utter. He is my own little self, my lord. He knows no shame, but I am ashamed to come to thy door in his company. That's Tagore. A very useful way to describe the ego is like he does when he says, my own little self. So the ego is the little self. The self that always needs to be right, needs to be seen, needs everyone's attention to be focused on him or her, needs to be heard, needs to be liked. So whenever you see these patterns of the little self looking for attention or any thoughts related to the little self's need for aggrandizement, Observe them. Don't act on them. And the more you observe them, slowly, gradually, you're gonna start developing a sense of humor, which is a very important quality in the path towards awakening or self-development. The highest degree of humor is that which you have about yourself, about your own little self, when that happens, you don't take your mind seriously. You don't take your ego mechanisms seriously. And you can then laugh at yourself in the same way as you would laugh at the antics of a child. But you laugh at the nonsensical cries for attention that are always behind every action that the ego does. And this happens, all of this happens in your own field of consciousness. 
So again, I'd like to end this episode with just emphasizing the important practice, the most important practice, which is self-observation, awareness, being there as the witness that observes the ego playing its game in your field of consciousness. That's how you distance yourself from it. That's how you find what there is to you when the ego dissolves. I'm conscious of uh, how long this episode is becoming. So yeah, let's just leave any other ideas and thoughts for the next episode. And just the same reminders as always. Uh, if you haven't yet done so, find us on social media. If you haven't yet done so, follow the podcast and turn on the notification settings so that you receive a notification anytime that a new episode is released. Make sure to check out the Introduction to Meditation course that I've also included in the podcast. And make sure to be kind to yourself and to persist in this practice in this path of self-observation and grounding yourself in a deeper place of yourself that's always present and always observing at internal phenomena. That's all for now. Take care and I hope to be able to greet you um, on another episode. Take care. Bye-bye.